modes of thought in Interran literature. Second year classics, Harvard University. Yeah, remember that last one kept making that crazy sound? Yes. So I, I sent it over to IT. Um, Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah. That's okay, you're good. Yeah. Okay, cool. talked about a few instances where Antaran literature engages this concept of not knowing versus knowing. Um, we had Teosha, the divine human female mother of earth and heaven, who was alone and knew she was alone. That knowledge, very important to that story. Then we had uh, the world that would reset if no one was there to see it. So they made the thousand-eyed god Ecopa to watch. And we've also had the man who uh, knew about the plot to kill the king. And when the king didn't want to hear about it, he discovered he actually knew less as a result of knowing about the plot. Well, in the early literature of Antara, this concept goes to an even further extreme in the story of the idiot king. I'm reading now from uh, Ra Tefani I. Uh, Ra Tefani's writings focus primarily on history and politics in the very beginning of the Second Empire. Oh, okay. That's a thing, too. You're probably wondering why we're only talking about the Second Empire so far. That's because there is no first empire. <laughs> in all the histories we have, the beginning of the culture, back when the society seemed to be a loose coalition of some tribes, that's technically the first empire, even though it wasn't actually an empire, right? So most of us uh, on the scholarly side, we, we only start using the empire demarcation, starting with the second empire, which is really the beginning of the overarching political system that built Prime A into the city it became. And all of that starts with this one insane story or, or experiment, maybe. Um, and that's the story of the idiot king. Quote, under Ecopa's thousand eyes, Teosha and her children blossomed and their descendants fed on the animals of the plain and reaped the grain in the valley and the fish in the sea. When the people met in the market, they honored each other and made fair trades. <clears throat> but Teosha was old and at the age of 437, she told her children, I am near the darkness. Listen to me, for I am old and I am the mother of earth and the heavens. We know our valley and we know our plains. We know the lakes and the rivers and the great seas without end. 
but we come from darkness and to darkness we will return and the darkness must be praised and honored like a king. So I tell you this, you will take a child and from the day of their birth, you will keep them in a dark room. Teach them nothing, but keep them fed and well cared for. And when our city meets the darkness, this child will have the answer. This is my wish for my family and for my people." End quote. So it appears that this may have actually happened. In the main civic complex in the old city, we have a building still largely intact, which seems to have a series of rooms within rooms, like a Russian nesting doll sort of. And at the very center is a large room that very well could have been the home, well, prison, really, of the idiot king. Now, I, I get that's a pretty wild leap, so I wouldn't bet my life savings on it or anything, but it, it seems odd that in the exact symmetrical center of this massive palace complex, there just happens to be a room big enough for a man to live his whole life without ever coming in contact with the outside world. So, yeah, this, this could be real. Now, Ra Tafani was working during the very earliest days of the Second Empire, so roughly 73,500 BCE. And this appears to be the same time that the culture, you know, this, this uh, coalition of tribes or uh, clans of sophisticated hunter-gatherers with some early agricultural capabilities, this is when they formed their first government or the sort of overarching social structure. And the thing that bound them together, the idea that unified them into the Second Empire was this notion of the idiot king, the ultimate tabula rasa, right? The blankest of blank slates. Ratafani writes, quote, as happy children of the mother of earth and heavens, our people did as Teosha commanded. Bones were gathered and marked. One of them had on it the mark of Teosha. And every woman of childbearing age was gathered and had to choose a bone. And the woman who picked the mother's bone was named Ra Hayela, a strong young woman who was new to the blood. Okay, we think this means she just gotten her period, right? The, the phrase is new to the red moon water. So, yeah, we're talking about a, a very young girl here. Rahayela became pregnant, and when it was time, the elder woman took her to the dark chamber where she brought forth the king of unknowing. Um, okay, another thing here, pronouns. Oh yeah, pronouns. Um, as we're seeing now, and we've seen throughout the history of the spoken word, Gender and language are intertwined in a way that is so deep and, and central to our view of the world that it's impossible to extricate our understanding of society from the language that we use to describe it, right? I mean, there's been a lot done on this uh, 
there's there's Dewey and uh, ordinary language philosophy. There's a lot to look into. Um, in Anteran linguistics, there's a natural fluidity of gender that is really fascinating. All children have gender neutral pronouns and most possessives are gender neutral. Uh, so they had a way of saying like this pen is his without indicating any gender at all. Sort of the way we've come to use the plural, right? This pen is theirs. And then at marriage, citizens would choose between the honorific Ra or Mem, which would indicate gender like Mr. or Mrs. So, <laughs> so everyone's individual gender was a choice and no notions of gender were put on children until they chose. It's fascinating, right? Uh, how would that impact your whole way of looking at your, your family, your, your, your friends, your groups? if you saw them through that lens. Okay, so anyway, because of this pronoun situation, we don't know what the gender of the idiot king was. Uh, the word king itself, really kind of a shitty translation, uh, is also gender neutral. The word for king and queen are the exact same, geja. So the idiot geja is raised in this dark room contacted only by the elder women of the city who would care for the child and raise them and ask questions when they needed advice. And it seems like this is how the first days of Antero went, a group of the town's elder women running the show with advice from a child who had never seen or had any contact with the outside world. And the city flourished. Ratafani says, the child who is a shadow in darkness guided the people through time in many forms, rough time and smooth time, sad time and time of joy. And the flowers grew and died and grew again over and over for a thousand years. And Teosha's children found their path and the dark city grew. So yeah, that's the name that we've come to know Prime A by, right? Dark City. Okay, so Ratafani has outlined the birth and, and the golden age, really, of the Second Empire. Is it really? What? Sorry? Is it really a golden age if it's built on the back of an enslaved kid? Well, okay. Yeah, exactly, Hyrong. You tell me seems like a barbaric practice that probably shielded the ones who are really making decisions from responsibility. And the shield they used was the life of a child. Well, not just one child. The reign of the idiot king lasted for at least 1,200 years, probably 15. It was an entire lineage of children who never saw the outside world and only talked to each other, we suppose, and the elder women the ones they called the diviners. Jesus. Oh, way before him, I meant. But here's the thing. Okay, we're talking about modes of thought, not political ethics. Though, that is a fascinating angle on the story of the Idiot King, and not much has been done on it, so uh, that could be your term paper thesis right there. Uh, because the question is this. 
If you could create peace, I mean, an ongoing civilized peace that provided security and stability for your people. At this point, thousands and thousands of people. We think the population of Dark City was about 65,000 around this time, plus the outlying tribes. It, is that worth the sacrifice of these individual kids? I mean, the quality of life of one kid in exchange for the quality of life of an entire nation. It's not an easy call, or is it? Utilitarianism says yes. Yeah, exactly. Enlightenment thinking and the utilitarian approach would say absolutely. If it's a genuine one-for-one -one trade, then not only is it ethical, it's a, an ethical obligation to make that choice. That thinking is wrong, though. How? How is it wrong? Well, it seems trite, maybe, but say in the protests we've seen over the past couple of years, a popular slogan is, no one is free until everyone is free. But there's a logic there, too. If an arbitrary group has freedom, but another arbitrary group, or even individual, doesn't, then doesn't that alter the definition of freedom? Well, okay, exactly. And if I go to a fancy restaurant and there's a booger in my soup, that one booger pretty much spoils the whole bowl of soup, right? That's what I call the booger in the soup principle. It hasn't really caught on yet, but I'm, uh, I'm working on it. Okay, let, let's leave it there. This kind of discussion is what this course is really all about. Can we have some more of that? Yeah? Great, great class today, guys. Also, just to remind you, we should be meeting to discuss your term paper theses, so please set a time with me. My office hours are on the website, yeah? All right, great work, everybody. Really nice. Modes of Thought in Interran Literature. This podcast is made possible by Harbridge University a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities. The Peeler Prize in Archaeological Literature and the Harbridge Family Trust with an in-kind donation and production assistance from Wolf of the Door Studios. For more information and a reading list, please visit modesofthoughtpodcast.com. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Friends, half-orcs, countrymen, lend me your pointy ears. Of Mice and Men and Monsters is a podcast which combines the art and beauty of classic literature with the fun of Dungeons and Dragons roleplay. These episodes are led by me, Kate, 
your master teacher, which is dungeon master meets high school English teacher. We take on quests in these fascinating worlds, meeting and adventuring with the greatest literary characters of all time, solving puzzles set up by the dubious Dr. Frankenstein. One eye Put is over there, and the other eye is rolled over exactly there. Exactly right. Hunting Moby Dick alongside Captain Ahab. <laughs> I've rolled a one. Are you so, so. one? Of Mice and Men and Monsters is a faithful yet irreverent way to interact with the stories which have influenced us for centuries. Plus, it's a much more exciting way to experience literature than writing an essay. Essays don't have swords which burst into flame, or poop monsters hiding in toilets. Anybody got some poop for me? A new episode of Of Mice and Men and Monsters is released every other Wednesday, wherever you listen to podcasts.